This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. We've had about a week now to digest the task force report on cannabis as the Liberal government moves towards legalizing recreational use of it. I think overall, the reaction to it has been fairly positive. Of course, we now have to see what happens when it's actually in the hands of politicians. We've heard already the provincial government here in Alberta is saying that it wants to hear from you when it comes to the one area about the age for um, allowing the sale of legalized marijuana, because of course, that's in the hands of the provinces. So we know the minimum age is 18. Uh, That could vary from province to province, just like we see when when it comes to the legal drinking age. There's one part of it, though, I want to kind of hone in on because every time we talk about legalizing marijuana, we, we talk about a price point. We talk about what is it going to take to ensure that this step towards legalization, in a sense, dismantles the black market. Will we come up with all these regulations and laws and then find that people are saying it's too expensive, I can't access it, and I'm going to go the black market route? I want to bring in Daniel Baer. He is a professor of criminal justice, School of Social and Community Services, Humber Institute of Technology, joins us today. Hello, Professor Baer. Thanks for having me on. So just on the surface, what was your initial reaction when you had a chance to look at the task force report? Well, I think the way that you described it is a fairly positive reaction uh, from myself and from many of the people that I know in the drug policy community. I think the report overall uh, shows a very balanced uh, and insightful approach to regulating cannabis. It's a conversation, do you think, that is long overdue as far as a politician or a political party actually saying we've got to talk about legalizing marijuana? Or are you the one, or are you in the camp where the war on drugs has been very successful? Oh, I, I don't think I could ever say that the war on drugs has been very successful. Uh, all the evidence points exactly away from that conclusion. I think that the discussion about how we regulate drugs in order to protect citizens and reduce harms on our society uh, is one that's been happening for a long time. But now the discussion and, and where we see main jurisdiction for legalizing cannabis, uh, I think that is definitely overdue uh, and hopefully we'll have some positive benefits. And Daniel, the only one, reason I wanted to ask you that is because even last week when we were releasing the details of the task force, I still get a lot of phone calls and texts from people who are still adamantly opposed to it. So I just wanted to at least put that conversation to bed and move forward here as we look at what the the task force is proposing. And as I said off the top, Daniel, I think part of this whole uh, topic has been, well, we've got to make sure that we and the black market. Otherwise, this won't be successful. So uh, a recent column you wrote in the Globe and Mail, I like the fact that you kind of looked at three key areas that the government has to focus on in order to be successful in, in, in a sense, I don't know if you can ever legitimately put an end to the black market, but make sure that consumers are going the retail route as opposed to the black market route. Exactly. I think that if we look at the taxation and the pricing and the way we make cannabis uh, accessible, we can take uh, steps to really ensure the black market is curtailed as much as possible. I think you're right. You know, there will always be some individual out there, just as there is with alcohol and tobacco. Um, And to to take half a step back here, I I totally understand uh, why many of your callers and many people in Calgary and Alberta and frankly across the world 
would be concerned about bringing forth another legal uh, drug when we know that we do have problems with alcohol and tobacco already. But I think that if we regulate this drug, if we treat it uh, with the level of harm that it has, uh, which is fairly minimal but you know not uh, completely absent, that if we do that and price it effectively, we can really take away many of the negative aspects uh, of the current black market system. So that's the big one, the taxation and the pricing, because I think as we've seen in the U.S., a lot of governments where it is legal have seen this as, well, I don't want to say a cash cow, but, you know, you hear reports are, of what some states are bringing in when it comes to revenue just from cannabis sales. It's crazy. Exactly. Colorado's been uh, uh, sort of the forefront of this, and they have uh, both a wholesale tax on the production and also retail special taxes in addition to their normal sales taxes. And if you look at the way that that's broken up, Colorado puts $40 million a year back into school renovation and school production based just off of the wholesale tax of cannabis. And anything above that $40 million goes into just the general school fund. Now, that's a drop in the bucket considering they spend about $5 billion on their public school system overall, but that money helps. That money gives a bit more breathing room uh, the institutions that are challenged uh, financially. And if you look at you know, the retail tax, most of that money raised goes towards uh, drug education, uh, drug counseling, and then enforcement areas around the sort of retail sector that's developed there. They have about a 30% tax overall when you take your cannabis out the front door of a retail shop. But that 30% um, seems to be an effective level, and it seems to have curtailed the black market significantly. Uh, if you look at places like Maine that have just legalized, they went with a 10% tax rate. California is doing, again, a wholesale and a retail uh, tax rate that goes to about 20% cost overall. So, you know, places are trying different things, and it's really an exciting period where we have some natural experiments going on. But for the first time, we can figure out, okay, how are these things priced and how does the price affect consumption? Because we know both with alcohol and tobacco, increased costs, reduces consumption, um, and in particular tobacco that has some really significant gains in overall health for the population. Yeah, and so even saying that, increased taxes reduces use, but I worry that if the government, as they're looking at what they're going to do with the taxation system for cannabis, they could, they've got to watch how high the taxation is because so early on in this model, I guess, you'd be concerned that people are saying, I'm not even going to, I'm going to look for it somewhere else. Exactly, exactly. And that's the risk that we run, you know, if individuals and government say, okay, well, I'm still against this drug, and my way of sort of showing that is that I'm going to put as high a tax as I can possibly pass through the legislature, uh, then you can actually undercut the whole system. And so I think that the spirit of the recommendations uh, from the task force really was about a balanced approach, finding what works and being able to move within the system to not create something so rigid and overbearing that it undercuts the very goals that we have. Uh, and that, that really is a key concern. And by leaving out a specific tax rate in their recommendation, uh, they leave the door wide open. But I expect that most uh, provincial legislatures will take uh, a very balanced approach as well. Remind us what the task force was suggesting. As you said, they didn't come up with a specific tax. However, they did talk about maybe higher taxes depending on the level of the THC in the TCH. Did I just screw that up? Um, in the no, actual THC. product. Yeah. So remind me what they did, they recommended. 
Well, I think, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. They said that there should be generally uh, a tax to support uh, prevention education funds surrounding this new legalized drug. Uh, but that if you have super high potency products, uh, things like butane hash oil or other uh, sort of condensed oils and things that are quite strong compared to the cannabis flowers, the buds, uh, the sort of green leafy material uh, that, you know, about 40% of Canadians have probably uh, have used at one point in their life. But those very high uh, potency preparations should deserve an extra higher tax. Um, now that's based on the idea that they might be more harmful or that we want to push people to lower potency drugs. Uh, but as many people are probably aware, with cannabis, uh, it's usually a very quick-acting drug. You know how much you've ingested within a few moments if you smoke it. So people do what's called self-titration. They tend to have the amount that's necessary to get them to the level of intoxication they want. Uh, and so some of the idea of you know, heavily taxing high-potency items I see the I see the the reasoning for it, but I also see that it might not be totally necessary. And again, that's an area where, you know, with with all these provinces and territories going to take their own slightly different pathways, we'll be able to see, and we'll be able to evaluate, you know, which different strategies are working best in these different places. Uh, and that really speaks to one of the big issues is that we need to have a robust system in place ahead of legalization where we can measure. Uh, and have really good research material so that we know what works and what isn't working. Because this is, you know, let's be frank, we've been doing 90 years of prohibition and we're moving into a new area. And it's really important that we have the data to understand what works best and be able to move towards, you know, continually refining the system. I wanted to, first of all, just sort of set the stage with the conversation over what legalizing recreational marijuana is as far as making sure that it impacts the black markets in a negative way. Daniel Baer is with Humber Institute of Technology, Criminal Justice School of Social and Community Services. Uh, Daniel, uh, it's funny, I'm, I'm getting some text here. Quit calling it a drug. It's an herb. It's not a drug. <laughs> now, I, I didn't... No, it's a drug. I didn't ask you to come on here to be an expert on that, but I think it's a drug because it still has mind-altering, or it does affect us. It is, yeah. I, I, I hear that comment uh, every so often. Uh, listen, cannabis is a drug. It's a fairly uh, minimally harmful drug, but it's a drug, uh, just as caffeine and nicotine and uh, um, acetaminophen and aspirin and all these things are drugs. And if we think about them as drugs and regulate them as drugs, um, that doesn't mean that we have to go by prohibition. That doesn't mean that we have to go with full, you know, let the market create whatever conditions it wants. It means that we regulate in a way that provides uh, a safe and effective access for adults. Uh, and so call it herb, call it weed, call it cannabis. I prefer cannabis as that is its, uh, its Latin name, uh, but you refer to it as marijuana. And frankly, I think as long as we refer to it uh, as a drug that we're going to regulate in, in sort of the most appropriate way, then you can call it whatever you want. I'm glad you mentioned the access because that's the the third pillar, so to speak, as far as how we have to make sure coming together as provinces, because you can see how even just with the, the age, uh, our, our premier is saying that she wants to hear from Albertans about what an appropriate age is going to be. So as much as the task force is recommending a minimum age of 18, that could be just like alcohol, where provinces have different ages for access to alcohol. Exactly. And, you know, the task force suggested the age of 18 as a minimum. And while that might seem a bit surprising to many people, 
I do think it is actually the appropriate age to set. And I would argue that what we know from cannabis research so far is that there's the potential that heavy use in young people, especially young men, before uh, the brain is fully developed might have some negative uh, repercussions. We're not entirely sure, and it seems to be, you know, quite heavy use that triggers this. Um, but beyond that, so there's that question that's in the air, sort of like when are people, you know, neurologically able to safely take this drug? But beyond that, I would say that in between the age of 18 and 24, we know that individuals in that group are about 25% of them report that they've used cannabis at least once a year. And that's much higher than uh, individuals older than that. Then you get down to about 8 to 10%, depending on where you're looking. And if you exclude the 18-year-olds from a regulated, legalized market, you create a very significant group that's going to be using the black market still. So you're going to retain a black market, and you're going to keep those individuals away from responsible use. Because the black market doesn't card. You know, your dealer doesn't care what age you are. They don't care about providing uh, regulated products that have purity labels on them so you know exactly what you're getting. I think the safest thing for us to do if that's really what we're trying to move to, is to say 18 might seem a bit weird and it's a bit uncomfortable for me, but actually based on the research and the idea of making the most safe experience for adults possible, that 18 is an appropriate age. How important then, Daniel, though, do you think it is that all provinces blanket it at 18? I don't think it's particularly important that they do. While I think that it might, uh, from a research perspective, um, be indicated that 18 is okay, you know, if provinces choose to go different routes, and as long as they don't go, you know, absurdly high uh, ages, you know, you can't have it until you're 55, um, then I think that that's fine. You know, it creates a natural experiment, uh, which as a researcher is always really interesting. You get to go, okay, well, you know, Alberta did 18 and Quebec did 18, but Ontario went with 20, and let's see what happens in each of these provinces. So, listen, we, we live in a system uh, where each province has a lot of power in these areas to regulate uh, cannabis and alcohol and things like that. And, you know, I think it's a beautiful system sometimes. And even if you don't always get the exact you know, age in this instance that I would want, uh, I think it'll be a really interesting thing to look at. So that's the idea of the access for the age, but there's just the access of how people are going to be able to purchase it. And we've heard the task force recommend having retail storefronts separate from tobacco, I mean, separate from alcohol, liquor stores. uh, So they have to be standalone almost. And then also mail order. So is that also when provinces start to really drill down on how they envision the recreational marijuana in their municipalities or their their provinces how important it is that there is something that is common within all of them well i think there will be some commonality um just based on the number of provinces there um but each province does have its ability to say this is what we want to go with what's best for for our citizens and i think that limiting it to just say uh just the mail distribution I think that that would be uh, problematic. We've seen that that's had uh, issues with the medical cannabis uh, only being available to the mail, and that was challenged in court and uh, successfully challenged, I should say. So I think that you'll see a vague similarity. My my guess, um, based on uh, what the proposals are now and you know sort of political reality, I think you'll see retail storefronts in many locations, but with strict regulation, strict licensing. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, municipal uh, sort of 
uh, allowing municipalities to say we don't want in our city or in our town. Uh, but I think you will see a lot of commonality just because there are things that make sense and ways of making uh, the system probably work best that people will probably latch on to. Daniel, what about the idea, and we know Shoppers Drug Mart is putting together a proposal or has already said that it would like to be an, uh, a store, uh, a facility where people could get recreational marijuana. Is that, is that a good idea or is that leaning towards having big corporations controlling all this? Well, one of the big concerns is having sort of a large corporate structure around this. The Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse did a lot of research into how Colorado and Washington State uh, moved forward with their legalization. And one of the things they particularly noted was that uh, the ability to have sort of large corporate structures can be problematic, particularly when there's a profit incentive involved. So as to Shoppers Drug Mart uh, in specific, I don't know. I think, you know, originally they came out and they said they wanted to be involved in uh, medical sales, which... I can see and understand. In terms of recreational drugs, uh, I have a bit harder time seeing the benefits of having uh, a corporate store like that be the sole person or the sole entity where people can get cannabis. But if they choose to uh, make that as part of their, you know, their inventory that they carry for customers and they meet the licensing laws of the province and municipality where they are, uh, you know, it would be an interesting thing to see. I, I don't know that I've ever thought about going to Shoppers Drug Mart for recreational things. I mean, I tend to think about it when I need shampoo and deodorant and you know, maybe some antibiotics or something, but uh, uh, it would be a different, <laughs> definitely be a change. Well, there was a time when drugstores always sold tobacco, and then there was a push away from that because it seemed, wait a second, you're a drugstore and you're pushing a product like tobacco. So, um, And maybe that would be the same thinking from a lot of people. Finally, before I let you go, uh, we know that here with our Alberta Liquor Stores Association, they are definitely going to fight that idea that they would not be allowed to sell recreational marijuana. Do you see a problem with that, or would, uh, would it just be another re- Retail outlet and opportunity to be able to buy it, or should it be more specialized with just one standalone store, like a dispensary? Well, I think what we've seen from many places, um, particularly in the United States, where they've legalized cannabis, is that they are uh, almost uniformly, explicitly saying you can't sell alcohol and tobacco. Uh, sorry, um, uh, alcohol and cannabis. Getting all my drugs mixed yeah. up now. <laughs> um, that you can't sell alcohol and cannabis together, and the idea is that you want to. Uh, separate these two entities and sure would it be more convenient if you could have your one-stop you know alcohol tobacco and cannabis store of course for your convenience sake that that would make sense but I think what we know in terms of public health and in terms of um, making sure that you have a, a safe regulated environment that probably keeping these things separate would be better overall the LCBO here in Ontario also very keen to get in the uh, cannabis distribution and their argument was but we know how to card people. We know how to yeah. uh, you know, protect individuals buying alcohol. And while I have no doubt in their capabilities to do that, you know, I think that that capability exists beyond um, the alcohol distribution stores in whatever form they take in whatever province you're in. Um, and we've seen that, that we can regulate alcohol. You know, the Gaming and Liquor Act in Alberta has very clear guidelines, and we can, you know, we can make strong regulations. Uh, and I think that that's. You know, it might be difficult to make them because they're new and they're a bit unfamiliar and they're going to seem, you know, sort of new questions that we haven't really had to ask before. But I think that we can make those regulations and we can separate um, these two businesses and do so in an effective way 
that protects people. And if I can just make one quick point here, um, you mentioned sort of before I came on the air that you know, you're getting a lot of emails and feedback about this, and you don't have to like cannabis to see the benefits in regulating it. If we can reduce the black market, if we can make something safer, I think this is a really smart approach and one that will will save us money and save us uh, people's health and improve uh, the overall criminal justice uh, sector that we have right now. Great closing statement. Daniel, thanks so much for that. Thank you very much. Daniel Baer, Professor of Criminal Justice at Humber Institute of Technology. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.